Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome back. Well, hopefully everybody is doing well and enjoying the disgusting weather that we've been having. I don't know what it's like everywhere else, but we have been... Um, probably not as disgusting because nothing is more <laughs> disgusting than a fall in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, lots of rain, lots of wind, lots of storms, lots of power outages. I mean, it is... It's just really, really, really cold. Like almost freezing, but just above freezing enough that there will be no snow, just rain or sleet. Yeah, if it's going to be this cold, I'd rather just have snow, but that's where we're at. No, but it will dip down to the freezing just when it's not raining. And then it'll come back up to rain, get a little bit warmer when it rains. Mm -hmm. We are getting our... Christmas cards ready for all of our Patreons. So if you're a patron, you're going to get a holiday card again this year, which I guess was went really well last year. Everybody seemed to like them. And if you sign up before Christmas, you get a Halloween or not a Halloween Uh, Christmas card. We're not doing a Halloween card, to be clear. It's a Christmas card. Why can't we do a Halloween card? Well, because my hand is already cramping from the... Uh, you don't have to write anything out from the hundred Patreon. Take, we just addresses. Do. Oh shit! Yeah, I gotta write shit out no matter what. So right now we're getting our holiday card ready. We're also getting our send out ready for our hundred Patreon. We're about to hit a hundred, and all of our Patreons are getting a limited edition sticker of our original logo. It's a holograph sticker. It's really cool. So yeah, it's our most popular logo. <laughs> it is our most popular logo. Which is why it came down. (laughs) Which is why it is no longer. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, it's a picture of me hiking with my backpack. It's like just a photo of my mom from the back and it's like everyone just comments on my mom's ass. All the time, all over. I like, literally, I we literally like, had to change our logo because of it. It yeah. was out of control. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was that bad. So, be looking for that in the mail if you're a Patreon, and be looking for your Christmas card because they are coming. Okay, so today we are telling you the story of Michael Henley Jr. He was born in 1979 to Michael Henley Sr. and his wife Marty Henley. He was nine years old when he would go missing, and he was around weighing approximately 65 pounds with sandy blonde hair and brown eyes. So on April 21st, the Henley family traveled from their home in mainland to the Oso Ridge area of the Zuni Mountains near Cibola County, New Mexico. Hopefully some of that is pronounced properly. Um, maybe you can let me know. You can let me know. Nicely or not nicely because it's me. She won't read it, though I will, so I prefer that you just don't. <laughs> just say it nicely or don't say anything at all. Uh, now, in some reports, it does say that the family was simply going camping, and in others, it says that they were going turkey hunting. And either way, they headed to a campsite, so I think it's... Whether or not they're hunting turkeys at this campsite? Is irrelevant, yeah. Yeah. Oso Ridge is a wild area situated in the Zuni Mountains between El Malpais National Conservation Area, and Blue Water State Park. It borders the northeastern boundary of the Rama Navajo Indian Reservation, but it is within the Cibola National Forest. 
Okay, so the Cibola National Forest is roughly 1.6 million acres of land in New Mexico. So I can't even imagine that much land. Like, that's so much. So, yeah. Fuck. Okay. It has peaks ranging from 2,700 feet to 11,000 feet in elevation. As is much of the New Mexico area, Cibola is rich in history from the spiritual significance of the Native Americans to the forestry reserves and sawmills of the 1800s. Hunting is a common recreational activity in this area with the opportunity to hunt deer, elk, antelope, and turkey. The climate has a lot of variety from desert lowlands, grassland areas, juniper shrubs, and pine spruce forests at the higher elevations. So you get quite a variety when traversing through this area. The Oso area is heavily forested with a top elevation of 8,727 feet. The weather in winter is severe, and even in spring and summertime, the temperatures at night are cold with frequent rain. In April, the time that Michael went missing, the average temperature falls as low as 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And this is actually data from Grants, which is much lower than the Oso Ridge. So it's probably going to be a bit colder where the family is staying. Than on the ridge? It's going to be colder on the ridge than it is in Grants, which is where that information gotcha. comes okay. from. Okay. Yeah. Michael, his father, and his father's friend traveled from Millen, New Mexico, approximately an hour and 40-minute journey on Thursday, April 21st, and arrived at the Oso Ridge sometime that morning. It is reported that the group had planned the trip to prepare their campsite for the turkey hunting season, which is set to begin on Saturday, the 23rd of April. Which makes sense if they're out there turkey hunting, that they would get there just beforehand and get everything set up. Now, within 20 minutes of setting up camp, nine-year-old Michael wandered away from the group into the woods around the campsite, which is a pretty normal thing for a nine-year-old to do, I would think. Especially if he's familiar with being out in the woods, being out camping, things like that. Now, he is underdressed for the weather. He's wearing a flannel shirt, pants, or black Levi jeans, and tennis shoes. Now, soon after Michael wandered away from the camp, a snowstorm hit the Oso Ridge area, and Michael Hinley Sr. alerted the authorities that he could not find his son. So, this happened relatively quickly. Yeah. The search for Michael actually begins by 2 p.m. So that is very, very quick. And I think the snowstorm is probably what prompted such a quick yeah, search. Yeah, quick search and mm-hmm. the fact that it's a nine-year-old kid. Yeah, because within hours of his disappearance, they're already out there searching. About 75 searchers participated, focusing along the Ridge and Forest Road 50. This initial search party was comprised of Cibola County Sheriff's Department, Millen Police, and state police workers from nearby Gallup, Albuquerque, and Las Vegas. So we have a lot of people converging on this area. Yeah, a lot of different departments right now. Worsening weather conditions hampered efforts, but the search was not called off despite the temperatures plummeting to 25 degrees Fahrenheit with heavy snow overnight. Ugh. They're probably just like, we've got to find this kid. The search continued over the next few days with newspaper reports of Michael's disappearance and the subsequent search appearing on Saturday. 
by Sunday the 24th, the number of searchers had increased to 400 people, making it one of the largest scale search and rescue operations in New Mexico history at the time. And this also included 200 troops from the New Mexico National Guard. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is like best case scenario with everybody getting out there relatively quickly. I mean, by the 24th, so Michael disappeared on the 21st, and by the 24th, there's more than 400 people there. Yeah, that's a pretty good, out, like, turnout yeah. for a Well, search. and not only that, but there's a ton of people searching even before that. Now, George McLeod, a search coordinator, told the Deming Headlight that the two-mile search radius had been thoroughly scanned, and they were moving into a wider field of search. So initially, they're thinking he's got to be within two miles of the campsite, which we know that's asinine. Like, people get a lot further than you think they can when they get turned around and they panic. Yeah. So eventually, they do widen that search, assuming that they have covered the two miles so extensively that there's no way he's within that two miles. Now, more than 200 searchers on foot, horseback, and motorcycles saturate this area, which only adds to the muddy conditions and made it very difficult for bloodhounds who lost the scent quickly. So here's the flip side of having so much help out in the field. So we know that it can be beneficial to have a ton of boots on the ground to help cover ground, right? But we also know that search and rescue is looking for footprints. They're looking for signs of Michael. They're looking for clothing. They're looking for anything that might indicate he had been in that area. And when there are searchers out there like that, it kind of destroys any possible evidence of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you have... The good with a lot of help covering ground, and you also have the bad with it. It's unfortunate that the bloodhounds lost a scent. Yeah. Did they even have it in the first place, though? I'm wondering. I don't think they did. I, I think they had it for a second, and then they lost it pretty quickly. But by the yeah. time the bloodhounds got out there, there was already people in the field searching. So, yeah. A state police helicopter and a National Guard helicopter were also deployed on Sunday, flying over a 10-mile radius around the last point Michael was known to be seen. They scoured the valleys and ridges for any sign of the missing boy. And even after a week had passed, the searchers refused to abandon hope and continued searching tirelessly for Michael. Footprints similar to those of Michael's were spotted several times but were quickly filled in with snow, removing any trace. And I actually love this. This kind of reminds me of the Sam Sayers, when they dropped, like, the survival gear. The, yeah, like, the, the baggies full of, like, food and notes and, like, instructions. They actually put up signs for Michael that said, Michael, go this way with arrows pointing and telling him to stay on the road if he got to it. Volunteers every 100 yards along the service roads posted these signs. Aww. And they all directed Michael towards base camp with the hopes that the nine-year-old would just kind of stumble across one and wander into camp. I literally, like, we have a picture of the sign. I will post it for you guys. It just makes me really, really sad. So weather conditions were not improving, and the chance of rescue were significantly diminishing with each snowfall. Uh, Roger Robb, the search field coordinator, 
said we cannot abandon hope. I personally have chased kids out there or out here and they surprise me. They'll come out of the woods and say, I'm hungry. I'm cold. Right. Like he's saying there's still a chance. Which we're right. I've se- we've seen kids lost a ridiculously long time in the fucking Right, woods. like finding caves or things like yeah. that. Yeah. And I have no idea. Honestly, I think they might have a better chance of surviving than most adults do. Well, yeah. I think they're... They bounce back faster. Right. They bounce back faster. They They don't have the same type of panic that adults have, I think, which can help, but... Yeah, I don't know. We've seen some crazy stories of kids coming out. Mm-hmm. Way later than they should have survived. Missing a shoe. So Rick Goodman, a New Mexico State Police SAR coordinator, told the Albuquerque Journal on the 27th that they would keep searching until they were certain that he was no longer in the area. He also indicated that children Michael's age will often be too scared to respond to rescuers and that Michael had been taught by his parents not to talk to strangers. Right. So he's basically saying we could have passed him. Like we could have been in the same area as him and he might have been too scared to call out. And actually I've heard of cases where search and rescue didn't give enough pauses in between yelling for victims. So they would actually respond, but they wouldn't be heard because they would be drowned out by the searchers yelling for them. So it does happen. It's just like it's just like when you're actually searching, you're supposed to take five steps and you're supposed to look around. You're supposed to stop and look around. It's the same sort of thing when you yell for somebody, when you yell their name, you're supposed to pause and wait for a response before yelling their name again. Now, unfortunately, by April 28, the search begins to wind down and is eventually called off. Madge Harar, spokesperson for SAR, gave a statement to the press on the announcement stating there were no clues from the beginning and that every lead had been investigated. Because they never did. I mean, they found some footprints, but really that was about it. And they have no way of knowing if they were actually Michael's. They could have been a searcher too. Yeah, because if you saw my footprints, you might think... It was a child. Oh, that looks like a nine-year-old boy's footprints. (laughs) Maddie... Maddie does have really small feet, so she would definitely cause some confusion. I can literally wear the boys' shoes. Yeah. Like like little boys' Nike shoes. I Mm -hmm. never buy adult Nike shoes because I can fit into the little boys' Nikes. Yeah, Maddie has, like, freakishly small feet. So, like, I probably wear the same size shoe as, like, a 10-year-old boy. Yep. I would assume, Mm -hmm. so. It's good. It means Maddie can't steal my shoes. So... Though the search is suspended, a missing persons report was filed with the National Child Find Program, and Michael's details were added to the National Crime Information Computer. State police also began circulating thousands of flyers with Michael's description in order to raise awareness of the case. Because I think at this point, they're like, maybe he's not out there. Maybe he has left the woods. Maybe he was kidnapped. Maybe something happened. Which we see this Time and time again with every missing case. Right. If they don't find them, they assume that they're not there. They're not there. Yep. Which Which, we know is not the case most of the time. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that this is happening. This happens everywhere. You know, she was sex trafficked off the mountain. Someone took her from the parking lot. Someone took them from, like... Someone kidnapped them from the campground. Yeah. yeah, Like, Mm -hmm. we see it all the time. Oh, the Laura Bradbury case. 
Which one was the Lori Park? That was the Joshua Tree National Park where she went missing from the campsite. And they searched and searched for her and couldn't find her. And they eventually came to the conclusion that she was kidnapped from the campsite. And then they found her body later on, like a mile away. The local community also pulled together and a reward fund for information relating to the disappearance of Michael Henley was established at the First National Bank in Grants and was avidly encouraging people to donate to the fund with the hopes that someone would come forward with any information. So a year goes by with no leads. And then a shocking clue is discovered on the other side of the country. Yeah, I literally cannot imagine this. Now, on June 15 of 1989, a woman pulled into a parking lot of a small general store off of Highway 98 in Port St. Joe, which is a small town off the Gulf Coast of Florida and has a population of just 4,000 people. Now, when she pulled in, she parked next to what she described as a white cargo van with a man in his 30s who had a handlebar mustache and was sitting in the driver's seat. By the time she got back to her car from the store, the van was gone, but on the ground where the van had been parked, she discovered something shocking. It was a Polaroid photo. First off, handlebar mustache, white cargo van, no. Red flag. No. Oh my God, imagine seeing that Polaroid on the fucking ground in a parking lot. I would literally pee my pants. Madison just saw the photo. So, you guys, the Polaroid shows two children who are bound with their hands tied behind their backs and duct tape over their mouth. The pair appear that they are being held in a confined space like maybe the back of a modified van. Now, the older of the two is widely believed to be Tara Calico, who is a 19-year-old that disappeared while riding her bike near Bellum, New Mexico. Now... She has dark hair, and she is situated in front of the second child, who is a younger boy. There's a paperback copy of V.C. Andrews' My Sweet Audrina in the picture. It's terrifying, you guys. They're literally, like, she's kind of laying on her back, and he's kind of laying next to her on his side, and they both have their mouths taped, and they're both looking at the camera. Now, it's so disturbing. They look... She looks resigned and he looks terrified. Yeah, the little boy looks scared and the little girl looks like she's been... She's not a little girl. Well, she's not a little girl. She's definitely like an older teenager for sure. Yeah. I can't... Like like Maddie said, like finding this picture laying on the ground in a parking lot, I just... I can't even imagine what that would do to your psyche. Especially having like... you. There's nothing you can do. So... The photo is released on the news, and the mother of Tara actually comes forward claiming that it is her daughter in the photo. She went on a current affairs show, and that's how knowledge of this photo came to the Cibola County Sheriff's Department. So Sheriff Ed Craig showed a tape, which included the Polaroid photo to the Henley family, after he saw the resemblance to Michael Henley in the boy in the photograph. When asked if he believed the boy in the photo was Michael, Ed Craig said, it's a good possibility. It's the best lead we've had in 16 months. So the majority of the Henley family are convinced that the Polaroid is Michael, but Michael Sr. remains unconvinced. 
Either way, this photo will forever tie the disappearance of Michael Henley and Tara Calico together. Now, on the 1st of August of 89, the Henleys traveled with Patty Duell, who's Tara Calico's mother, to Florida to view the photograph in person. Meanwhile, which I would want to see it in person too, honestly. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the FBI announced that they are investigating the case FBI spokesperson Doug Belden gave a statement saying, we're assisting the local investigating agencies in any way that we can, most specifically in providing background information on the Henley disappearance, as well as making our technical facilities, the FBI lab in Washington, D.C., available to them. So the FBI involvement offers the potential for this to be a federal kidnapping investigation. Right, into the Michael Henley missing persons case. So he's not just a missing per- like he's like a kidnapped missing person. As well. Right. It would it would change the status of his case. Yeah. So a telephone tip which suggested that the missing pair is being held in Stewart, Florida, proved to be a false lead. It was basically a case of mistaken identity. So somebody had called somebody had called in reporting that he knew where these two kids were being held, but it was actually two different kids and they weren't kidnapped. So someone guy just called the cops on his neighbor? Well, yeah. Imagine you have two neighbors who kind of look like these two kids, and you're like, shit, this could be the two kidnapped kids. Yeah. I mean, I say better safe than sorry I yeah. on that. Because if you think about it, remember, it's like the uh, J.C. Dugard case that we covered on Patreon yeah. where the neighbors interacted with the girl who'd been kidnapped for like 20 something years and interacted with her children that she had in, in captivity. captivity yeah yeah so i mean and they had they had a, a son that lived there that was about her age i think that also interacted with her yeah so imagine if that family had seen a photo of jc dugard they might have been able to yeah turn them in long before she mm-hmm. was actually rescued So there would be another phone call in September of 1989 to Michael Henley in the early morning hours where a mysterious male caller claimed that Michael Jr. was being held in captivity in Texas. Yep, but nothing came of this and it was believed to be a hoax. Which is wrong with people? Like, you're an an awful, you're an awful fucking person. So... Photo analysis is undertaken by Scotland Yard in the UK after the case makes international news. Comparing the Polaroid to known photographs of the two children, the investigators appear to confirm the identity of Tara, but results prove inconclusive for Michael. Similarly, the FBI's investigation into the photographs also struggled to confirm the identities of both children in the Polaroid. Now, we're going to post this. We have a side-by-side of both children to the photos. So this is Tara. Side-by-side. And this is Michael. Yeah, that's definitely him, dude. Look at his ear. Look at his weird ear shape. Look how big his bottom earlobe is. I feel like it's not her. Look at her eye shape, her eyebrow. Yeah, so I I don't think either of them look like the photo. I mean, I, I see the resemblance, mm-hmm. but at the same time, 
The eyebrow, I definitely have an issue with on Tara. Also, it looks like her eyes are green or blue in her photo. And in the kidnapped photo, I would say her eyes are brown. Yeah. Personally. Which it could just be the shitty, the Polaroid photo, obviously. But it is, And that's another thing. It's a Polaroid. They have tape over their mouth. They're also, both at an angle. Who knows what, like, what Tara's eyebrows look like in different expressions. You know what I mean? Right. Like, she obviously is, like, deadpanned, like... And he's terrified. Like, that little kid looks like he's been crying for fucking ever. Yeah, and I would say with Michael, I would say the ears look similar. But, but the haircuts. The hair's different. I mean, there's really no—it's so hard because we don't even know. This could be a year, over a year later, that this picture, this Polaroid was taken, too. Yeah. Now, after the shocking revelation of the photograph, both Michael's and Tara's cases hit a wall. There are a few leads, and much of the new information is proven to be a string of hoaxes. I really hope they looked for other children that these could have been as well. I would guess that they did that. Like, the, uh, like look like through looked, other databases. Yeah, and yeah. see if they found children that fit the description better even, that were maybe even in Florida at the time. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I, would, hope, I mean, the FBI is involved. I, I would, would, ho- I would so. think that they did, yeah. but I hope that they didn't just end it with it. Being these two kids, because I actually don't. It might not be. Yeah. It might be. I I really don't think there's any way to tell because it's a Polaroid camera. Who knows what they've been through? Like who knows? Mm-hmm. Now, in an attempt to generate more helpful information, the FBI and both the police departments from Cibola and Bellin make plans to post three hundred thousand flyers. On the back of these plans, news came out that the Henleys had been dreading. Skeletal remains had been found in the Zuni Mountains, not far from the last place where Michael was last seen. Now, the Henleys, because of this, decided to hold back on the release of the information packets, which tied the case of their son to the missing Tara Calico case while they waited to hear if the remains belonged to Michael. Yeah. A rancher riding a fence line... On June 23rd, whether this rancher is riding a horse on this fence line or just riding the fence itself, I do not know. Who knows? But. Uh, riding the fence itself? How would yeah. he be riding the fence I don't itself? fucking know, Mom. He's okay. riding the fence line. Like, along the fence line. Like, he's probably on a four-wheeler or a horse or something like no, that. No, he's riding the fence. No. <laughs> okay. He's okay. riding a fence line. Go. So, on July 23rd, 1990. So over two years after Michael's disappearance, he happened upon the skeletal remains of a small child. So clothing fragments similar to the ones that Michael was wearing at the time of his disappearance were found alongside the remains, which were tentatively identified as Michael Henley Jr. The family was informed and told to prepare for the news to be confirmed within a week. Longest week of their life. Especially with this, like, hope that they've been clinging on to after the Polaroid was found. Yeah. Yeah. So the Henleys and others were puzzled at the discovery of the remains and asked the sheriff department why the body hadn't been found in the search if he had been there the whole time. Which, God, that'd be so fucking hard. To know that you, like, searched near where he was. Yeah. So Michael Sr. is quoted by the Albuquerque Journal. It's hard to believe that he was found like this. After a search like that, 
It was the proverbial needle in a haystack. Yeah, and this question also provoked some theories that Michael actually had been abducted and his body had been dumped in roughly the same area that he was taken from. But this theory was vehemently dismissed. Sheriff Ed Craig refused there being any evidence of foul play and also an animal attack was ruled out. The remains had been found a quarter mile from the nearest road and about five miles from the location where Michael had last been seen. So five miles, if you remember, would be outside the initial two-mile perimeter that they set. So they wouldn't have started on that five miles out until after the first, like, was it four or six days? The area was thick with juniper and pinyon trees, which would have made it hard for searchers to see and difficult for scent dogs to trace. Yeah, and obviously it's cold and snowing. Michael may have tried to climb underneath or into a bush for shelter, which also would have made it harder for searchers to find him from air. Which we see this with so time. many missing people's cases is that they climb under logs. They find or rocks sheltered. Or, yeah, and I honestly, I think that's why it's so hard to find some people is because... They turn to shelter. People don't just lay out in the open hoping to be found. Like they take shelter. They hide. Hide from the elements, hide from animals, hide from anything. Yep. So the lack of medical and dental records for Michael made identification difficult. But eventually the body was formally identified as that of Michael Paul Henley Jr. The medical examiner used the only two dental x-rays of Michael to identify the body. Well, and I think, too, it would be a very, very large coincidence if this body belonged to anybody else as well. Mm -hmm. Now, the state medical examiner ruled the likely cause of death as exposure and hypothermia. So when they use dental records to identify someone, is it like, oh, they have a filling here, 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 this, this, there, that? And like, well, sometimes, I mean, remember, he's nine. He might not have any fillings. Well, yeah, which is why they just used his but x-rays you can, to look at his teeth. Well, right. I would assume that they take an x-ray of the dentals from the body and then compare that to the x-ray of the person when they were alive. And you can probably overlay them and get a pretty good, you know, teeth are very distinctive. Oh, well, fuck. Teeth don't move. So Roger Robb, who was... A medical investigation official who also helped in the initial search said that the discovery of the body was a fluke and that we had been hoping since the disappearance that this sort of thing would happen, but we just wish it would have happened sooner. In a rare statement to the press, Marty Henley, Michael's mother, said, The wondering from day to day is gone, but it doesn't make anything easier. So hard. I mean, I I have to imagine there's like some sense of relief with that closure, but at the same time, I feel like if anything, it probably makes it a little harder because now you don't have the hope that he's still alive out there. Although I think knowing my child was alive out there and not knowing what their fate was and what might be happening to them would be really difficult as well. Now, that is the case of Michael Hanley Jr. And We are going to do like a little mini on Tara Calico, who is a much more well-known case than Michael, but we're going to do a little mini of her on our Patreon. So if you want to know more about Tara, who is still missing, 
head on over to our Patreon for that. Oh my God, Tara's mother went to the grave believing that her daughter was the girl in the picture. Oh yeah. And we don't know if it is or not. There have been a ton of back and forth and verified her by certain people and verified is not her by other people. So we have no idea. And I think the only way that we will ever know is if we do find the girl in the picture, if it's not Tara, that we find who that actually is. Because I've actually wondered, I've actually wondered when looking at this picture, because first off, they haven't been identified. But I have wondered, is this even a real kidnapped picture? Could this be a staged picture? Like, could this be something that somebody took for picture swapping or for, like, some sort of weird, sick reason? And this is just somebody's kids. that It's their own kids that they set up in this picture, and it's not even really a kidnapping. Because I find it very strange that these children have not been officially identified. I think it's probably because it's hard in that picture. Like, you can only see the bottom half of their face, the top half of their faces. They both, it's not a very good quality picture. They're both at weird angles. Mm-hmm. Like, but something to think about. Like, is it even a real picture? Yeah. But go and look at the picture. Go and look at our social media. See what you think. I mean. Yeah, let us know. Go look at the Polaroid picture. What do you guys think? I feel like somebody should be able to identify these kids. I mean, even if the girl is Tara, we know the boy is not Michael. So yeah. who's the boy? Who's the boy? Who's the somebody, boy? It's not Michael. Somebody should be able to identify this poor boy. So yeah, that is the case of Michael Hinley Jr. Um, like I said, go check out our Patreon if you want to hear the story of Tara Calico as well. Okay, so we have a couple people to thank. We would like to thank Alish Lighteller for helping with research on this case. Thank you. Insert round of applause noise. You need one of those round of applause. I do need one of those. We also want to thank Movi for buying our coffee today so that we could actually function while recording. We have a ton of stuff that we're working on today. We're working on a bunch of stuff for Patreon. We're working on some stuff for TikTok. Hopefully that will be coming soon. No guarantees, though. And we're working on some other things. So we have a busy day today, and it was greatly, greatly appreciated. So thank you, Mo. We also have some new Patreons. So we want to thank Linda Hendricks for joining our Patreon. Hi, Linda, and welcome to Patreon. Bele Sendoval? No. I don't know. Try it again. I just tried it. You try it. Nope. Bailey Sandoval. Is her name just Bailey? Bailey. Yeah, it's probably Bailey. Is her name just Bailey? I think it's Bailey. It's <laughs> Bailey and it's spelled fucking crazy. Okay, I think we have Bailey Sandoval. We also have Jeannie Snyder. I think it's Jeannie. Jeannie? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Jeannie. Welcome. We have Tabitha Gross. Grouse? Grouse? Tabitha Grouse? Gross, gross, I don't know. Either way, hi, Tabitha. Welcome to Patreon. And we have Alicia Ballard. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to Patreon. Thank you so, so much for all of our Patreons that have continued to support us. You guys are amazing, and we really, really appreciate everything that you do for us. Yeah, we do. Um, Alicia, we have a part of Seattle that is called Ballard. 
which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. It's a whole area. That's I know. Maddie's pretty like, nice. Maddie's like, where's Alicia from? I was like, is she like, it's from It's not going to be from Ballard, Maddie. No, I was wondering <laughs> if she was from Washington because she would know that there's part of Seattle is called Ballard. Oh, got you. But if she's not from Washington, then she's probably yeah. not going to know that part of Seattle's like the nice, like this, the nice water yeah. area is called Ballard. Yeah. So anyway, thank you so, so much for... People who have clicked on our link to buy us coffee on Instagram, thank you to all of our Patreons who have supported us. You guys are amazing. We so appreciate everything that you do. Uh, please, if you want to support us, go check out our Patreon. Um, there's tons of bonus episodes, bonus footage, videos, all sorts of fun stuff on there. So go and check it out. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next week. Or if you go to Patreon, then, uh, you know, we'll see you right we'll now. We'll see you there. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay. And for those of you that don't know, our recording studio is in the garage. So sorry about the noise, but Maddie is very popular and very busy and hard to get into the studio sometimes. Oh, yeah. Super popular. You make me sound like a celebrity when you say it that way. It's hard to get her in the studio. She's like 20, you guys. What do you expect? She's usually sleeping, though. That's usually why I can't get her in the studio. Let's be honest. I'm not doing anything. I'm here. <laughs> Just sleeping. Uh, all right. So, well, I don't, I don't know how many hours you think there are in a day. <laughs> But I think that you might not be calculating properly. How am I not calculating properly? Well, because think about it. There's like, we have we have to drive there to the hike first, right? Yeah. That's a drive. Mm-hmm. Quite mm-hmm. a drive, yeah. right? Yeah. We have to do the hike. Yep. We have to drive back. Yes. We have to change our clothes. We have to yeah. go to the pumpkin patch. Yes. We have to pick out pumpkins. Mm-hmm. You know, remember what that's like, right? Yeah. Yeah. It takes a really long time. Then we have to get home and then we have to carve pumpkins. And then we have to fucking go to bed. So if we are calculating all of the hours of the day. No, I think we'll have time for food, I'm sure. Okay, so we're just, we're not going to eat all day. And we're going to use our recording time as eating time. Is that, yeah? is that the plan? Yes. That's the plan. Is that a bad plan? Do you eat throughout the day? Yes, I do eat throughout the day. Liar. I do too. Liar. I, today I already had a protein shake. What else have you had? Well, protein shake has a lot of calories in it. Mom, it's two twenty four. Oh yeah, I'm probably I'm probably due for my next meal. (laughs) (laughs) I've eaten more than you. I I ate two chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) I still ate more calories than you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I had the Red Bull too. See, I'm probably over in my calories. (laughs) 